This is Self Work, and I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford. At Self Work, we'll discuss psychological and emotional issues common in today's world and what to do about them. I'm Dr. Margaret, and Self Work is a podcast dedicated to you taking just a few minutes today for your own self work. Hello, and thanks so much for tuning in to Self Work for this, my 88th podcast. I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford. I'm a clinical psychologist out of Fayetteville, Arkansas. I've been in practice over 25 years. I can't believe that, really. And I started podcasting last year because I wanted to extend the walls of my practice to those who might already be very interested in psychological issues or even in therapy, but also to those who might never have darkened the door of a therapist's office and really wouldn't consider it, but might be a little curious about what someone in my profession might have to say about psychological and emotional issues. Today, we're going to be talking about the loneliness of grief. I've never known anyone who was dealing with grief and loss or trauma that didn't feel very, very lonely at least at some point in the process. Maybe your siblings understand if you've lost your mom or your dad. Maybe your spouse, especially, obviously, if it's the tragic loss of a child. Maybe your widowed friends, if it's your spouse. But there's an aloneness that happens for everyone, whether it's sudden loss or more chronic loss, like a chronic illness or a chronic disease of some kind, like estrangement or having a child with a terrible drug addiction. You can feel very alone in trying to deal with that loss. This episode is sponsored by Audible.com, but there'll be more about that later. So the interesting thing to consider is why do people back off for those that are suffering loss or pain that doesn't go away easily or quickly? Why do they either insinuate or out and out say you should move on with your life when you're not ready to do that? We're going to be talking about that as well as I'm going to offer four ideas on how to handle that loneliness, which is based on what I've learned from watching so many people over the last 25 years deal with various traumas and various losses. It's quite an honor to be a therapist and to be able to try to help and guide through that process. Then I'm going to have a little bit of advice for those of you who might want to speak to those who are suffering, but you really don't know how to bring up the subject. Today's listener email is actually from someone living in another country other than their own birth country and struggling with fears of repeating what her own mother did to them as children, as well as not feeling understood by her partner when she misses home. So that's today's self-work. I hope you'll stay and listen as we talk about the loneliness of loss. You get divorced, and people ask for a few weeks how you're doing. Your dad suddenly dies, and within the month, you've received several notes from people who knew him and loved him. Your oldest child was diagnosed with autism, and people who've walked that very path offer you guidance. You don't want people to feel sorry for you. You don't expect constant attention. What happened, happened. But it also feels very lonely when people seem to forget. And... Perhaps even worse, if they seem to expect some kind of miraculous recovery and even give you the message that you should get it together. It's a life skill to move through pain. In my experience, grief or sorrow comes in waves 
and one hopes certainly that each way will decrease in force as time goes by. Yet there are times that you can get hit with a wave that's even stronger than the first few. You don't want to define yourself as a victim and allow the difficult things in your life to totally define you, but it takes time for those waves of grief to recede. So why is it that people get so itchy for you to move on? I have a friend whose husband died tragically and suddenly two years ago. When I call her on the phone, just sort of an automatic, hey, how are you, will pop out without my thinking about it, and she'll kind of laugh at the question. I'll follow quickly with, you know, where are you in your process? I'm just as interested, obviously, in that, so that she knows I mean it in the context of what's happening to her, knowing full well that she's still working on emotions that can be raw at times and ever-changing. Another friend has cancer that's in remission after a fiercely fought battle through chemo and radiation, But every now and then, and hopefully when it's appropriate, I bring that journey up, and she lets me know where her heart, her mind, and her body is, if indeed she's in a place to talk about it. Now, yes, I'm a therapist. I'm very accustomed to talking to people about sensitive things. But I believe the need for so many of us to detach is more than simple self-consciousness or feeling awkward because you're asking a private question. I know it doesn't happen much because so many of my patients tell me that it's been days or weeks since anyone asked them sincerely, you know, how you doing? I said in the introduction that I've been a therapist for over 25 years now, and basically I want to have the hope and the feeling, it's something I choose to do, that most people are basically good. So why do they shy away, as I said before? I think people, they shy away from reality out of fear, fear that the unthinkable could happen in their own lives. Their own lives could get out of hand, and they might be faced with a change that's unwelcome, an illness that could be life-threatening, or a loss that feels unbearable. So, they back off. They want to believe, they need to believe, that you're doing just fine, that whatever loss you've experienced is manageable, that your life isn't careening off the scale. So, it's self-protective in many ways. Perhaps it's the people who have either gone through that loss or trauma, love someone who has, or simply are blessed with more of a sense of empathy, that they can go there with you, that they can be there with you, even though it's taken quite a long time. And boy, when they do, does it feel good. It feels like someone is taking the time And maybe even taking a risk on connecting with you where you are. Not where they want you to be, but where you are. And that can be an incredible gift to give someone. We're going to be talking about how to handle this sense of loneliness in a minute. But I do want to talk just for a minute or so about the sponsorship of Audible.com for this episode Audible approached me several months ago now and said, hey, we'd love to sponsor your podcast, and here was their offer. My listeners get a free trial for a month of audible.com, and you can download one free book of your choice. Then you can keep on subscribing to audible.com or not. You can unsubscribe. I figured it was a win-win for Audible. It was a win-win for you. 
And it was a win because I'm going to give whatever monies I receive from Audible.com to St. Jude's Medical Center. It's a cancer hospital in Memphis, Tennessee for children. It's completely free. It's free for the children. It's free for the parents and their accommodations. They cover all expenses. And I'm happy to report that I sent my first check to St. Jude's Hospital just this week. So those of you who ordered at audible.com, thank you so much. The book I'm going to suggest for today is one I actually have not read myself, but when I was researching, I thought it was great. It's called It's Okay That You're Not Okay by Megan Devine. That would be my suggestion today, but again, you can download any book of your choice. All you have to do is use this link, audibletrial.com slash selfwork. Again, it's audibletrial, T-R-I-A-L, dot com slash selfwork. We can work together to do something nice for you and to do something wonderful for St. Jude's Hospital. So let's get back to talking about four thoughts on how to handle your own loneliness in what life has brought you. First of all, appreciate the people who do check in and allow yourself to talk with them openly. Again, if it's a good time for you. When you're hurting a lot, it's very easy to isolate, to not want to show your grief. You can often try to hide what you're going through or convince yourself that it only makes it worse to open up to someone. Talking with a good friend who you trust and then knows how to be supportive can ease the loneliness, but you have to choose to do that. Your true friends want to be there for you. It's an honor for them And it's what you would do in return. You know that. You would also be there for them. They're not going to take it on like it's theirs. Perhaps some fairly unhealthy people will. But your grief is yours. But they love you and care about you and want to know where you are in the process. The second is to use distraction when you need it. But know there will be a time when it's important to work through your loss. It's been my observation that often there's a stage in grief when you fill up your life with things that will take your mind away from what's happened. It's very, very normal. You go see friends, you throw yourself into work, or you become involved in a relationship. You say yes to almost every invitation you receive. You may be exhausted. You may even know what you're doing, but you're compelled to do it. I worked with a woman recently whose husband died from cancer and I know for months after he died, she was constantly on the go. She's now recognized that she needs to slow down a bit. Her grief was waiting for her. So in time, know it's better to stop and face what's waiting for you. It can feel more lonely to be running away than actually standing still and feeling the pain. The third thing is to realize it's not that people don't care. They may not know what questions to ask or whether you're open to sharing. People may fumble around and not know what to say, but be attempting to reach out. You can let them know you're okay with talking about it, if indeed you are. You can look for support groups in your area. Facebook groups abound with support for different issues and losses. Those people who are facing what you are or have done so in the past can offer a kind of wisdom that others cannot. If it's not a good time to talk about it, or risk revealing vulnerability, you can always say, you know, I really appreciate you asking, but I can't talk about it right now. No, it's simply a very tough road 
and there will be lonely times, but you can put one foot in front of the other. Ask for support when you need it from people who you know will offer it and give it to you and take the time you need. Now I have a little bit of advice for those who want to ask but don't know how. It's going to sound simple, but I'm going to say simply ask. Don't allow whatever fear you have control what you do. You can simply say, you know, I've been thinking about you. How are you doing? How are you really doing? Are you in a place where you want to talk about things? Or, I remember it's only been a few months since your dad died. Where are you with all of that? Or, now that you're living out your divorce, how is it for you? How are the kids adjusting? Or, since Jacob's diagnosis, what have you learned? Just ask. You can ask if it's okay to ask. And if it's not, they'll say no. It's not a good time. But as I said before, it is an incredible gift to give. And it may feel awkward. You may stumble around a bit. But you asked. You let them know you care. You let them know, more importantly, that you remember. And the upshot of that is that they won't feel quite as lonely because you did. Our listener email today is from someone who's living in another country with their husband and children, but are having kind of a rough time. And so many of you are from so many different places, not just the United States, but other countries all around the world that I'm just delighted to have you here. I thought this might be pertinent to many of you. She says, hello, I listen to your podcast all the time. I've listened to many episodes several times, and I look forward to the release of every new episode on Friday nights. It's been fascinating and a great help to me in many ways. Thank you for that. I'm just so pleased. I've been struggling for the last few years because I fear I have depression and have been on the brink of reaching out to a mental health care professional, but have always chickened out at the final step. So your podcast has been invaluable to me as at least a step in the right direction. I'm from the UK, but live in Japan with my Japanese husband and have two young daughters. I grew up with a depressed mother and my parents divorced when I was 10. My mom was always a bit nuts and I knew very different from my friend's mother's. Now as an adult and after reading a really useful book, Will I Ever Be Good Enough by Kay McBride, I feel that my mother has narcissistic personality disorder. I have always had a difficult relationship with her, which has become worse when I myself became a mother and in my continued living overseas. This past year, I've really cut back on my contact with her as I've tried to set more boundaries. Talking to her on the phone always leads to arguments and the same irresolvable issues. I think she realizes that the more time I spend on raising my own children, the less time I can devote to her. The most maddening thing about her is her total lack of willingness to change or to take action to improve her situation. And I fiercely have positioned myself in stark contrast to that. If something isn't working in my life or I'm unhappy, I take action. I also have a strained relationship with my father. I felt abandoned by him due to the divorce, and it left me with a feeling that I was never good enough. But most of all, these days, my problem with him is that I resent him most of all for leaving me to deal with my mother. So in my adult life, I've always fought against sadness and depression, determined to be nothing like my mom. Being a mother myself, however, has been really hard, and it brought back a lot of raw feelings about my own childhood. 
I feel like she couldn't be a real mother to me because of her illness, and it makes me really angry and ultimately sad. My girls are now 10 and 6, so I'm out of the stress and exhaustion of the baby phase, and I'm working again. Lots of positive things are happening in my life, and sometimes I'm on a real high with things I've achieved and doing things I enjoy. But the dark thoughts are there, and some are getting stronger. I have these two wonderful children right in front of me, but I find it hard to concentrate on them and be present in the moment. My mind is always fixating on some other sadness or frustration. My biggest fear now is twofold. One, I fear that I'm becoming just like my mother. Sometimes when I'm angry with the kids, I say the most ridiculous things to them. The other thing I fear is that my children are going to notice that mommy is depressed. On top of my own issues, my marriage isn't great, and I have issues with my husband, with sadly money and career choices being one of the most divisive issues between us. I'm just really tired of being a foreigner and very frustrated by the lack of career options for me here. So somehow my life choices have led me to another country and into a situation where I may not be able to return. It's very upsetting and alienating. My strongest support network in Japan are other foreign women married to Japanese men. They have really been amazing. We connect on Facebook and we see each other in person. We talk and laugh and help each other. I don't know what to focus on first. Is it my mind that is the problem? Is it the marriage? Is it the stress of living in a foreign country? I recently had a lot of sympathy and did my best to help a friend suffering from depression and a breakdown. I surprised myself, realizing that I could be compassionate to them because they were removed. A friend. I do value your advice and expertise and thank you immensely for all your podcasts so far. I often listen to you before I sleep and find it very calming. I'm also charmed by your accent. It's a very new sound to me. In other words, I'm a big fan. Thank you so much. And the, I have sort of a southern kind of drawl, <laughs> but I was a French major in college, and that really changed the way I spoke. So I've got this strange mixture, but I'm glad you enjoy it. There were a lot of levels here from this email that I thought, again, many of you might relate to both having a personality-disordered mother or parent, having feelings of abandonment from a divorce where you were left to deal with a parent with mental illness. Maybe many of you are living in a foreign country, not your own, and would love to get back more often. Hi, I'm so glad you reached out. It sounds to me as if your problems are multi-layered, something you know yourself. One of the reasons I've done the podcast is to help people understand what therapy might feel like. So if it propels you to seek help there in Japan, that would thrill me. The other thing that I thought about after I actually wrote her a response via email is that perhaps she could do online therapy with someone in the UK, meaning online therapy is not the same as one-on-one, -on -one, but it's been shown by certain research centers to be very helpful. And perhaps in this particular situation, it might be just what you need. Back to my response. Many of your feelings sound justified. The obvious conflict and grief with your mom, feeling emotionally abandoned by your dad, worrying about your own depression and its impact on your parenting, and all of that with a backdrop of not being sure about your marriage and trying to make the best out of living in a foreign country. That's a lot. The fact that being a mom now is stirring up old feelings from your past is perfectly normal. You can't help but think, what was my life like at this age? 
If you've listened to my podcasts on perfectly hidden depression, you know that someone can look perfectly fine and not be at all fine. That doesn't mean your depression isn't real or important. It's very important. Please respect those feelings. I would recommend therapy of some kind, perhaps the consideration of a medication. I'm glad you're getting support from friends who are in the same cultural boat, but you also might think about reaching out in some way to the Japanese culture itself. I know when I lived in Switzerland years ago, however, that I tried to do that, and the Swiss people, as a group, again, lots of exceptions to the rule, but they were what I would call enfermé, or very closed off. And I don't know about Japan, but that might be the case there. Some countries are harder to move to than others. In thinking about this particular issue, Obviously, I'm in Arkansas, so I've had some people who've moved here. Walmart is here. Procter & Gamble is here. A lot of vendors are here for Walmart. And I have worked with people who resent being in Arkansas, whether it was because of being tied tightly to another area of the U.S. or of the world. So finding ways to honor your Britishness seems important. One man, for example, that missed his Texas roots decided to plan an annual Texas barbecue at his house. But, you know, that may be too superficial but that may be something that's not enough. My best guess is that the unhappiness you feel in your marriage is what's most important here. You may feel as if you're sacrificing for the marriage and not receiving his gratitude for that or getting that back in any measurable way. So that is a huge problem. For any of this to work out better than it is, you have to address your own underlying depression you may have picked up some of your mother's behaviors. All of us do. Depression can be learned. But your awareness of them is something that would suggest you're not as much like her as you think. But if you're holding on to pain from your childhood, resentment and anger toward your mom now or your dad, then you may be playing that out somehow. So I'd highly recommend seeing a therapist who could help you sort out those issues. And again, perhaps an online therapist perhaps one there in Japan, that would understand your situation. Please let this email be the first step in you doing the emotional work you need to do. It's a subject many people struggle with. I will add your request to the topic of motherhood, parenthood to my list. She did ask me to talk about motherhood, and thank you for it. It's a subject many people struggle with, so it's a great idea. That idea of not wanting to pass on something that your parents did to your own children. So, I'll talk about that soon. Again, I hope you got a lot out of this listener email. I did. It was multi-level, multi-layered, and probably many of you could relate to some aspect of her story. Thank you again for being here at SelfWork in this 88th episode I want to thank you for the ratings and reviews you've left me in the last week. I would love to get up to 200 ratings on iTunes. That would be a blast. And I'm about, oh, I don't know, 35 away from that. So if you have a few seconds and you're on iTunes, go to the ratings and rate me however you think is fair. Or a review is even greater because I get information about what you like. And that is very inspiring and motivating to me. Also, you know, we forget, just tell a friend. I would love to see more of you here at Self Work, more people from the U.S., 
I got a lot of Texans here, and I love my Texas folks. I lived there in Dallas for 13 years. Please email me at askdrmargaret at drmargaretrutherford.com. I will happily answer you, and it is confidential, and I may use it on the air. If you don't want me to, just tell me. Uh, I'd rather you not. And that's, of course, fine. You can also go over to my website at drmargaretrutherford.com. You can subscribe there and get a weekly edition of my newsletter, which includes a weekly blog post as well as this podcast. So that's a really easy way to keep up. I also have a new Facebook group that's a closed group, and I call it Self Work. It's for people who are curious about looking at themselves from different perspectives, what other people have to offer, comments and advice, as well as sharing your own wisdom with the people who open up there. Would love to have you. It's facebook.com slash groups slash self-work. Facebook.com slash groups slash self-work. So lots of opportunities to connect with me if you'd like to. I'm also on Instagram, where I post a lot of more personal stuff. Pinterest, just look for me, Dr. Margaret Rutherford. So thanks for listening. Please take very good care. I'm Dr. Margaret. And this has been Self Work.